Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. So God, we praise you. We worship you. You are the King of Kings. You are a King like no other. Your kingship looks like love and joy and peace, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness. You are a good king, and it is our privilege to be in relationship with you through your son because of the story that you've been telling from before time began, compelled by love for us, born out of love for us that you would send your son, God, that we could stand before you today, even in all our brokenness, all our sin, and we can be in relationship with you. We can be loved by you. So we praise you. God, we think of all of the, the stories that are about to shift in this coming week. So we get to back to school. We think of our teachers and we pray, Lord, that you would bless them as they gear up with plans and preparation and hours and hours of getting things ready. God, would you be their peace? Would you be their provision? Would you give them energy and rest? Would you give them peace in their homes so that they can focus on um, bringing your kingdom to the least of these, to children? God, we think of our families, those who will be sending little ones to school for the first time. We pray your peace there, God, where there's anxiety. We just say peace, be still in Jesus' name. And we speak the name of Jesus over anxiety as a whole, knowing that especially over these past few years, anxiety has... um, gotten a foothold in our lives and in our communities. And so um, we pray, God, that you would come and bring your peace to every family, to every child who's nervous about going to school. We pray, Lord, that you would be going ahead and that you would be uh, making Tuesday a day of joy and celebration, goodness as um, kids come into relationship with each other once more and learn about this amazing world that you have created. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, my name is Shalina, and I'm the worship pastor here. Usually, I have one of those kind of mics, and that's a little, it's actually a little comfortable for me to have that mic, and now I've got this thing, so I might play with it a little bit and adjust it. I'm not used to it. This uh, summer has gone fast. And we're in a series called Kingdom Stories. This is our second last Sunday in that series. And we're sharing uh, passages of scripture that have been significant to us in our lives and allowing and asking the spirit to draw out truth and wisdom from those stories as we share them. So I really love our little series bumper video that we play at the beginning of the service. It describes a beautiful summer setting. We're pulled around the campfire, and then it says, everyone becomes a storyteller. My extended family has gone camping every year for my entire life, so I know exactly what this means. I've experienced it, and I also know that you don't always want everyone to become a storyteller. But it happens. It happens regardless. I, myself, I am not the best storyteller in the world, I'll admit it. Details get a little fuzzy for me. And then I start worrying about whether or not I'm telling it in order, if I'm being accurate with the facts. And so then I end up here and there, and then I'm apologizing. It's not like the most enjoyable storytelling experience. 
But there is one story, at least one, but this one for sure that I can recount with absolute clarity. My husband and I and our two oldest at the time lived in Beijing for just under a year, uh, right before we started attending here at Stony Plain Alliance. And I did not know Mandarin, um, and I had found two places to shop for food. The market down the street, which was fine, but it was really hard work negotiating prices and understanding what I was buying. And then there was the expat store uh, on our compound, which charged $5 for a box of Kraft Dinner. So I was so excited when I finally discovered that just a few blocks away was a supermarket, and it was called Lottie Mart. And I was down for anything that had Mart in it because it felt safe and familiar to me. So I'm walking through the produce section. Everything's in big square bins like I'm used to seeing. I'm loving life. I'm filling my cart with things that I recognize. And then I see it. And if you, like me, have an irrational fear of mice, I give you permission to cover your ears and close your eyes until I'm finished the rest of the story. That's your trigger warning. I saw the largest rat ever. It had fangs. It was the size of a dog. Uh, it was darting between the produce bins, and I feel a scream rising up in me. I'm looking around to see if anyone else has noticed and is disturbed by this, and then I lock eyes with an elderly Chinese man, and he's seen it too. It runs right in front of him, and without so much as flinching, he steps on it as it's going by. And then he just takes his car and just saunters away like it was no big deal. So I'm losing my mind. I have no outlet. I can't be like to the person right beside me, hey, did you see what just happened? Like, oh my goodness. So I rush out of the section with my cart, find my way to the cashiers, trying to get out of there, get into the lineups. But the fear and the disgust is just staying with me. And so I start doing this like hop skip thing, thinking that at any moment, this now squished rat is gonna climb up my leg. So I'm basically in line, I'm twitching, and I start laughing at myself. And then the women in the next line uh, start whispering to each other as they look at me. So naturally, I try telling them what's going on uh, without language. So no word of a lie, I start trying to charade out a rat. So I'm like this, and then I'm hopping in case the rat's going to crawl up my leg. They did not need to say it to me. I could see it in their eyes. Lady, you are out of your mind. When you live in two different worlds, even if you share the same space, there are a lot of things that get lost in translation. We're easily misunderstood. People start making assumptions about who we are and what we're about. And so as we go to our text this morning, we're actually going to see the Apostle Paul was coming up uh, against a bit of this himself. So if you have your Bibles, you can grab that. Um, the scripture will be on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. 
If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. If we are out of our mind, as some say, literally translated insane, poor Paul, he's clearly needing to defend himself here. Paul knew the Corinthian church while he had spent 18 months in Corinth during his second missionary journey. He had established the church and he was deeply invested in their health. They respected him, looked up to him, but then something shifts. After sending them a first letter, Paul ends up traveling to Corinth for a really quick trip, which apparently doesn't go well. In chapter two, he refers to it as a painful visit. So much so that instead of choosing to return to Corinth, he decides to spare them, which is his words, and write this letter back instead, 2 Corinthians. So while in Ephesus, while he's writing this letter, he has different visitors from Corinth reporting back on what's happening there. And Paul finds out that there are starting to be quarrels and division around him, his style, his leadership. Corinth was a Roman colony that created a bridge right in between the two most famous and important cities of Greece, Athens and Sparta. And so all of the trade went through there. It was a port city, it was full of life and parties, markets, brothels. It had access to the best minds and the best philosophy of the day. Leaders were celebrated for their powers of persuasion, their rhetoric, and their ability to impress people basically with fancy words and ideas. As brilliant as Paul was, he would have sounded a little unpolished and a lot unimpressive in comparison to what the Corinthians were hearing. Popular speakers also had impressive lists of successes and accomplishments, and it would serve as their resume to the people. This is Paul's resume. He talks about it a few chapters later. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. This is not the kind of list of accomplishments that the Corinthians were looking for. So there's that. And then we get a definite sense of what the Corinthian church is facing when we look at some of the main themes of Paul's letter. Sex, money. Corinth took great pride in its Romanness. Romanness. And they were trying to figure out, the church was trying to figure out how to be Jesus' people. 
how to follow the Jesus way in a culture that had a completely different ethic, completely different worldview. And so not only was he unimpressive, but his message was unimpressive, not popular. So all of a sudden, Paul starts hearing these things coming back at him. They're asking him for some new references before coming back for a visit, asking him to tone down his messaging, not come on so strong. Essentially, they were embarrassed of him. They were seemingly living in two different worlds, and clearly they were no longer speaking the same language. So this is the context for our passage. Paul's defending his ministry. He's clarifying what he's about and what he's not about. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. It says, remember when we used to think that Jesus was just a good teacher? We don't think that way anymore. He reminds the Corinthians that they know of a different way of seeing things, one where being the best public speaker with the best arguments for the day and the best resume of accomplishments is not actually what qualifies him for job of apostle. And he says, do you know why I do what I do? Verse 14, because Christ's love compels me, compels us. The reason that Paul talks like he does and suffers like he does corrects like he does is not because of a new religious idea that is, he is hoping will gain traction and popularity in the public square where everyone is testing their message and trying to gain a following. He's not concerned with conforming to the style preferences and the expectations of the Corinthians, but he's deeply concerned with the message of Christ. Paul was not always compelled by love. He did not always see Christ this way. If we remember his story, Paul started as Saul. He was deeply committed to God. He knew the scriptures like the back of his hand, and he was intensely passionate, zealous, about upholding the law of Moses, protecting Israel from false teachers. And he was compelled and driven by duty and responsibility and pride. He was wholly convinced that the Jesus followers were a threat to God's law and order, a threat to Israel, and he was willing to threaten, murder, imprison, do anything to stop it. And then one day on the way to a place called Damascus, ironically to find more people to persecute, Paul meets Jesus. Paul meets resurrected Christ, and he's struck with blindness for three days until he's miraculously healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. Later in the fall, um, I think we're going to come back to this story in Acts to dig in a little bit deeper. But the scripture says, Acts 9.18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. This is not just physical scales for physical blindness. Paul sees things differently. In that moment of encountering Jesus, his whole world turns upside down and he recognizes for the first time that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, the fulfillment of everything that he has learned and hoped for and been on the lookout for. He sees Jesus and everything changes. Galatians 2, he writes, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul gets it. He's experienced the love of Jesus for himself, and now he's compelled by it. 
Paul's heart behind this letter is to help the Corinthians remember their first love, to remember their moment when they first met Jesus and started to see things differently. And so he lays it out, to them, out for them, and probably in the same words he spoke to them when he was with them in person, when he had first established the church with them. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. In Greek, this is even more concise. If anyone in Messiah, new creation. If Jesus, new creation. Then the following two verses, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Over and over and over again, he uses this word, reconciliation, and it means a change in position. A movement from enmity to friendship. Enemy to friends. And it's not a slow-moving change. It's a distinct change. It's what happens when the scales fall off and we see things differently. It's a radical shift from old ways to new ways, from old things to new things, from old creation to new creation. And this is cosmic, grand-scale, whole-world peacemaking. It says God was reconciling the world to himself. Paul picks up the theme over and over again in his letters. Reconciliation as peace, as harmony, as beauty, and as a communal reality, a relational reality. At the time, the greatest relational divide was between Jew and Gentile, between Jew and non-Jew. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by a setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. New ways of relating to God, to the world, to each other. In Christ, we hit this pivot point in history. N.T. Wright describes it this way. Something new has happened. Something new must now happen. When this passage landed for me in a significant way a couple of years ago, I did not have all of this context that I've just shared with you. We were doing a meditative reading in a life group and this passage had been shared to reflect on with the Holy Spirit. And I was in the middle of my seminary degree and we were exploring call and philosophy of ministry. And this can easily become something pretty intimidating. And maybe you remember some of those big moments of your life when you've asked the big questions, like, who am I supposed to be? What does God want me to do? What's my purpose? Maybe you're wrestling with that right now. So for me, I was in the middle of this, not sure why I was taking a ministry degree, not sure where I was supposed to go after leaving behind a career, being a stay-at-home mom for a decade. And so I had this angst building up in my heart. What am I supposed to do? 
Any other chronic doers? I'm the only one? Oh no. So on this evening, we were reading the passage, and as we got to the end of the passage, the words literally jumped off the page for me. Be reconciled to God. Not go fix all the broken things. Be reconciled to God. And I realized that I didn't need some big revelation of calling or direction or purpose. It was already there. It was the backdrop to my life. Simply put, come live like something new has happened, because it has, and then let something new happen, because it is and because it's going to. It must. It's God's plan. It's the preferred and inevitable future. The call, then, is actually an invitation to be a part of something that God's already got going on. So the call that Jesus gave to Paul on the road to Damascus, it's the call that Paul gave to the Corinthians, it's the call that the Spirit gave to me while reading this letter, and it's the call that the Spirit offers again to us this morning through the Word. Come be reconciled. Come live in the new creation. Have your eyes opened once again to what God has done and what he is doing. Make a break with the past, a radical shift, and then bear witness. Verses 18 and 19, be messengers, ministers. There's a part of this call that is proclaiming the new creation. There's a part of this call that is demonstrating new creation. And together, we're reflecting new creation. We're reflecting what the world ought to be like. The beginning of verse 20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. As much as the Corinthians didn't like Paul's preaching style, he's super clever and he knows his stuff. In Greek and Roman culture, being an ambassador was a prestigious assignment. For the leaders the Corinthians were asking for, being chosen as an ambassador for a diplomatic mission was like a career-defining move. You get statues made of you for being an ambassador. So Paul is elevating the stakes for his listeners. There is nothing more important than this. Proclaim and demonstrate new creation as if God himself is making the appeal. But why would we do this? Why would we, why would the Corinthians sign up to be misunderstood, to be thought of as insane or out of our minds, to live in a new reality that doesn't easily translate? Why would we suffer like Paul. Last week, I read an article in the Edmonton Journal, and it said that over the past year in Alberta, 20.3% of households are facing food insecurity. One in five households here in our land of freedom and prosperity have inadequate access to food because of lack of finances. We're six months into uh, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, and there's no prospect for resolution. There's not um, diplomatic meetings happening. It's not moving. There's a backlog of tens of thousands of refugees from Afghanistan that Canada has promised to resettle, but who are trapped, waiting in limbo, some in horrible living conditions. China is suffering the worst heat wave ever recorded for duration and size, number of people impacted. This reminds me of Romans 8. 
The whole creation is groaning. It waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. I don't share these things to make us feel bad. Um, Sometimes these things are too big for us to consider. And I know that sometimes when I turn on the news or I'm reading the news, I'm tempted to despair and kind of spiral. It really does no one any good. But we know it, don't we? That there has to be more. Or what about in your own life? Are there relationships that feel broken beyond repair? Forgiveness is just completely out of reach on one side or on both sides? Do you struggle with a body or mind that causes you pain, fails you, makes you feel broken beyond repair, saps your strength? Do you feel hopeless from the weight of debt, never-ending cycle of, of just making ends meet? I know that many of you have experienced loss and are grieving death itself. Is this it? We live, we suffer, we die. We just need to hold on until we get to the other side of it all. Our culture culture distracts us with shiny images and the mantra of just live live for the moment. Just do what feels good. That's how we're going to get through. But this morning, I get to be the messenger to say that God is in the business of reconciliation. Romans 5 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Save here is not the, oh, I get to go to heaven when I die now. Save means to rescue from danger or destruction to make well, to heal, to restore to health. God is not waiting for the whole world to fall apart and then he will restore everything. In Christ, there is a new creation. If anyone in Messiah, new creation. New creation is comfort in our grief. It's the spirit granting us the humility to say sorry so that we can rebuild broken relationships. It's a community coming together to care for the widowed and the orphaned and the marginalized. It's real-life healing, physical healing. It's easing poverty that's within our reach. It is every story that was written on a stone last week. It's everything that we know that life ought to be. This is Paul's conviction, my conviction, and it's what's in our vision statement. Fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. It's not just a good way, not a better way. It is literally the only way. It is the way we were meant to live. It is the reality we were created to be a part of, and it's where we find fullness and life and hope. So how? What do we have to do? First, be reconciled. Be at peace with God. And the good news is, the hard part is already done. Verse 21 in our passage, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In a moment, we're going to come to the table. And this is the place where the exchange happens. It's the place where the change in position happens. 
in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We go from being enemies of God to being friends with him. Our separation from God is exchanged for communion with him. He's waiting for us and he's pursuing us to live into a relationship with him that is already secured. It's already won for us. When we come to him for the first time, a break happens, a pivot point, and we never go back. We're forever part of the new creation, and we get new eyes, and we become new humans, and we show up in the world in new ways. We distance ourselves from our own culture of the world and say yes to God's ultimate reality, to his culture, to his kingdom. And sometimes it feels like the message that we have to give doesn't translate. Our hope looks foolish. We feel like strangers. People look at us like strangers. But the world is literally waiting for us to be messengers and ministers of new creation. They are dying to know that they can be at peace with God and with each other. And when we are willing to live as people who are out of our mind, who are compelled by love, we make room for the other for all the people around us who also don't feel at home in this world. The marginalized, the hopeless, the cynics, the misfits. So will you respond to the invitation, the call, to be messengers and ministers of reconciliation? Remember that God is not asking for the most educated and eloquent among us. We are all ambassadors. And everything that we do holds up a mirror to reflect the kingdom of God and his fullness. So I'm negotiating a fight between my two kids. I'm not just being a good mom. I'm being a peacemaker. When I'm picking up someone's trash that they've left in the parking lot, I'm not just being a good citizen. I'm being an agent of new creation. When I sing music, I'm standing in the gap between heart and head and helping make a pathway for the spirit to speak to our spirits. And when I use my science-y, math-y, nerd brain to uh, make something easier for someone or to solve a problem, I'm actually being an agent of order and goodness. When we learn new things, when we create art, when we teach children, when we are generous, when we apologize, when we rest, when we take care of our bodies, when we give up our power to somebody who has none, when we understand that God is about whole creation wholeness, fullness of life for everyone, then literally everything we do is bursting with potential for us to be messengers and ministers of that reality. So I think that there's a real response for each one of us today. Jesus is inviting us to more. So as the band plays, they're going to play music just for a minute or two before we start singing together and then before we come to the table. I'm going to invite you to ask the Spirit, what's my next step here? Do I need to be reconciled to God? Do I need to be reconciled to others? Do I need to have more courage to be a messenger or a minister? So let's pray, and then I'm going to invite you to just sit with that, with Jesus. Spirit of the living God, 
fall fresh on us here. Help us to see each other, to see you from a different point of view. And in my heart, in our hearts, would you call us something, to something, to be reconciled to you for the first time, to return to you, to be your ambassador, to something or someone today. Would you give us courage in that? Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.